It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Corner. As always, I am your host and Utah Utes insider for KSL Sports, Michelle Bodkin, and we have a very interesting show for you today. I don't know if you've all noticed or not, but there has been this story, or maybe a power struggle is more fitting is a more fitting term, floating around for almost a year in regard to the Pac-12, Big 12, and their media rights. Admittedly, I tried really hard to stay out of it. This is far beyond my wheelhouse as a feature writer, but one of the persistent storylines around this whole situation involves the school team I cover in the Utah Utes. So I set to work trying to figure out what was what and in what I'm coining as the age of verisimilitude media. Fast forward to now and it appears finally things may be winding down in this media rights saga as the Pac-12 seems to have come to an agreement on their grant of rights, provided the media deal is acceptable to all 10 remaining members. Here to break down everything concerning the Pac-12 media deal, grant of rights, possible expansion, and this ongoing PR war with the Big 12, the only person who has been able to source that they've talked to the people who matter most in these discussions in the Pac-12 presidents, chancellors, and ADs, John Canzano of johncanzano.com. John, welcome in. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I love how you framed the uh, grant of rights with the media rights, because I think, you know, we're all sort of on new ground here. You're you're not used to covering this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be covering the games and the coaches and the teams. Um, I think fans are ready for this to be over. But I think we all kind of got an education in the last eight or nine months on media markets uh, expansion, what drives it, um, you know, grant of rights. Like I, I, I'm, that's not what I want to be talking about, but here we are. And hopefully the PAC 12 will get this done so we can get back to the football. Yeah. It's been very interesting. Uh, I've made jokes about my dad always wanted me to grow up and be a lawyer and I decided not to, but I kind of feel like after this, I don't know, maybe, maybe I am a lawyer after this. I don't know. It's, yeah. And, been... and I think fans too, like, you know, it's, Interesting. Like, I didn't know when this whole all started that, you know, it, ratings, TV ratings and brand, they matter, mm -hmm. but they don't matter as much simply as your media market, you know, and, and recognizing like from the Big Ten standpoint that Rutgers and Maryland are, are are real valuable to that conference because they capture New York City and Washington, D.C. Like, you know, that's that's a concept that I think a lot of people in the last year have wrapped their head around as they watch 
UCLA and USC go to the Big Ten. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that's a good segue, though. So how did we get here? And, you know, give us the lay down from your perspective and the conversations that you've had as to what has happened to get us to this point this week. Yeah. And I think, you know, let's go back like 2015, 2016. I think this was all well in motion at the time. And, you know, I started writing right around that time about some of the athletic directors in the conference uh, were unhappy, including Chris Hill at Utah. Yeah. They were they were dealing with Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner. Um, they were not getting answers to their questions. The distributions were underwhelming. The, they had come out of their meeting, I think, in 2011, 2012, doing cartwheels, thinking, hey, they're going to get all this money. Here's, uh, you know, here's the tier that we're going to be at. And they very quickly realized that, you know, it was a good deal to start with, but um, it should have probably been a four or five year deal and then renegotiated. And instead, the Pac-12 ends up uh, in a position where it started falling behind right around 2016, 2017. Um, that goes in conjunction with kind of Larry Scott, the lavish expenses, the first cabin personality, um, you know, all of the stuff with Champagne Larry was all wrapped into it because if you're not bringing in revenue and you are spending like that, you have a problem. And so they started falling behind at that point. And I remember talking to Rick Neuheisel, who was at UCLA. He was complaining about the fact that, you know, he didn't have the budget to buy his players the kinds of things that Big Ten and SEC schools were buying. You know, it came down to like gloves for wide receivers and defensive backs, like them having to make hard decisions there. And it was little things like that. And now it is mushroomed up in, into bigger things. And so I think the path to this point really started long ago wow. and with some bad strategy. And then, you know, George Klyovkov comes through the door and I think hundred percent, he should have been tuned into UCLA and USC and how unhappy they were. He did a listening tour. Maybe he was lied to by particularly USC uh, or maybe they already had their mind made up that they were leaving. But, you know, I think we now know that if you could unwind it, the Pac-12 probably should have had a conversation with USC and UCLA about giving them a larger distribution of this coming media deal to make them happier. I don't know if you could have stopped them, but you at least should have had that conversation. And uh, now here we are, I think for the last uh, eight months or so, I've been hearing the same refrain that all 10 members are galvanized. Um, they all want to make a deal. It doesn't really make sense for anybody to leave. The four corner schools, you know, of course, they're going to hire consultants, do their diligence. But nobody, I don't think, really in their heart of hearts wants to drag all of their programs out of the conference and go somewhere else based on, you know, a question mark and and not any kind of stability. So I think for the short term, you have to recognize that these media rights moves and these expansion moves, they're huge moves there th these aren't small earthquakes ucla and usc to the big 10 is massive texas and oklahoma to the sec that is a massive earthquake um you know the the pac-12 schools that are left behind them moving or jockeying for another conference those aren't big moves and so for that reason i don't see any of them making the move i think the pac-12 is going to get a deal that is either in range of what the Big 12 Conference is paying its members, that's $31.6 per year in distributions, or beats it. And I think the presidents know that, but I think they need to see it on paper where they can sign to believe it. But I think I think we're moving in that direction. I've said that for months, but I kind of I feel like there's some new motivation here in the last couple of weeks. 
So just for context on my end of things, my spidey senses started going off when a longstanding meeting I actually had scheduled with Utah President Taylor Randall this week was moved to a later date. And then reports started floating in about Wazoo, Colorado, also having meetings later this week when I was supposed to meet with President Randall. When did you become aware that something may finally be coming together this week with the grant of rights? I think, you know, you've got to kind of look at it from 20,000 feet. Now, if you're going to add San Diego State, which I think a lot of people think if you're going to expand and you're the Pac-12, that's the school you do it with. Mm -hmm. You know that they have that June 30th date that they have to inform the Mountain West Conference if they're going to leave. They pay $17 million if they inform on June 30th. They pay $34 million if they wait to July 1st. So there's a deadline there that is important. Now, I've been watching San Diego State like everybody else. They are very patient. We're playing poker with San Diego State. I'm looking at them right now going, they know something. They have some kind of assurance or they feel pretty good about it. Uh, or or maybe they're just like everybody else who's had a job interview and hasn't had the offer extended yet. You don't want to call too much. You don't want to look like you're over eager. I don't know what's going on there, but it just has that feeling to me that San Diego State knows something the rest of us don't. So I'm kind of watching June 30th. We've seen the Pac-12 come out and they reframe the expectation in March where they said, hey, it's not going to be imminent. Forget what the presidents are saying. You know, you had multiple Pac-12 presidents who said, oh, it's two weeks away. It's by the end of the month, by the end of March. Um, and, and so the expectations for the public definitely were, hey, something's happening here. And then all of a sudden they said late spring, early summer. Now, uh, I had to Google it, but the, the summer solstice is uh, June 21st. So that's officially when summer begins. So I had kind of in my mind put June 21st as a target. I, I circled back. I talked to a couple of the members of the Pac-12 CEO group. These are presidents and chancellors. And I said, hey, you know, I'm not going to tell you. Don't tell me what's happening. You don't need to tell me what's happening. I don't know, need every discussion. But are you still feeling good about late spring, early summer? And, and they're saying, yes, that's the target. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're feeling. And, you know, for for your for, you know, your audience, uh, you know, I would tell you this, like, you know, you've done a really good job of building a relationship with the athletic director at Utah, the president at Utah, you have interviews with these people. You know, if you don't have pre-existing relationships with the presidents and chancellors, if you haven't talked to athletic directors and you start calling them in the last eight or nine months, you're not really going to get anywhere. It, it's difficult to build rapport and build trust and build relationships. So I think the reporters who have been in the conference for a while who have those relationships or maybe have had you know interviews with presidents and gone out of their way to talk to people when when you know news wasn't of the hour uh it goes a long way in building that trust and so i feel i feel very confident about a couple things michelle i'm going to tell you this i i think they they are confident they're going to be in range or beat that 31.6 million number i had one president tell me it was a layup i had another say they were confident and they remain confident just a week ago that they're in that neighborhood. So they can pretend that they haven't seen numbers, mm -hmm. but I don't see them saying that unless they do. Two, San Diego State, June 30th, looming. Now you have Washington State's President Kirk Schultz. They, they've got a regents item on their June 9th uh, you know, a budget saying you know, he's asking for signatory authority, meaning, you know, and, he, and they even laid it out for the purpose of Pac-12 media rights. Mm -hmm. He wants the ability to be able to make a decision on the fly, sign on the dotted line, not have to go back to his regents. That really got me thinking that suddenly now they know there's urgency. 
which prompted me to start making calls and saying, have you decided, have you guys settled the grant of rights issue? Because these things walk hand in hand. There's grant of rights where you are essentially saying, hey, these are the kinds of sponsorships the Pac-12 will sell. These are the kinds of sponsorships that maybe the University of Utah will sell. And they divide that. There's a separation of church and state on the sponsorships. And then they look at, hey, what kind of rights does the conference have the authority to shop around? And data rights, that's new, right? But with gaming and gambling coming in, uh, the Pac-12 decided to include data rights inside of their media rights package. That's that's a brand new category. So it tells me they may have a buyer there. So you know they they settle that. Then they get to revenue distribution. They've apparently decided to equally share revenue. To, you know whether you're in Pullman, Washington, or Phoenix, you're going to get the same revenue. Seattle gets the same revenue. And then they they got to the matter of postseason shares in the college football playoff. And that's where they sort of followed what the ACC and the Big 12 are all talking about doing and in, in giving larger shares to those who earn the playoff berth. So if Utah gets to the playoff, it gets incentivized to get to the playoff. It gets rewarded when it's there by keeping more of that share instead of having to share it equally with everybody else. So the grant of rights stuff is agreed upon. It's verbal. There's nothing to sign there, but they're they're in conjunction. Then it gets married to that media rights contract. And that media rights contract is the glue for this thing because we all know that money drives it. So uh, they're at that point. And we know they're at that point. And we know that all 10 schools are in agreement with all that other stuff. I think this is all good if you're a Pac-12 fan hoping that the 10 stay together. I think there is still some confusion on on what the grant of rights agreed upon means and doesn't mean for the conference. Can you break that down? And is there any room for things to still go sideways sideways yeah. in this process? Yeah. I mean, if the money's not there, it will go sideways. And, and, and I think we all know that. And uh, it's why I was watching the grant of rights because I asked uh, Bob Thompson, he's the retired Fox sports networks president. He negotiated the last deal the PAC 12 did with Fox He's been on the other side of that table. I said, tell me how that works. Grant of rights, media rights. He said that from his standpoint, from the media company standpoint, they don't deal in the grant of rights. Mm -hmm. They are just dealing with the PAC-12 conference, its negotiators, its executive committee. And right now that's the presidents at Washington, Washington State and Stanford. And it, so the so the networks are not talking with all 10 presidents. They're really talking with three and then maybe uh, some consultants and some firms that the PAC-12 has hired, and then Commissioner Klyovkov's in, in on those conversations and his team. So the grant of rights, uh, you know, doesn't happen like without media rights, and media rights doesn't happen without the grant of rights. You know, I want to make an analogy to it, but it's kind of like uh, you're engaged and then you have the wedding. Mm -hmm. You can say that the grant of rights is essentially the, is essentially the engagement agreement, and you know, all 10 members, do you agree that you're going to share this revenue equally? Yes. Uh, how are you going to break down the postseason revenue? Okay. What rights are included? What can the conference sell? You get on the same page there, and then the conference knows what it can shop. So most of the grant of rights stuff was ironed out over the last few months. It just, you know, I just thought to ask about it this week. And I, you know, I started asking the presidents, like, have you agreed on all this stuff? And more than one told me, yes, we're in agreement on it. Um, I, I was a little surprised to see Robert Robbins, the president of Arizona, go public. I think the interviewer in that interview asked the wrong question. It was it, it was clear to me they hadn't read the story. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're asking him, you know, you've got a done deal. You've got a grant of rights. You've got a, meteor, you've got a done deal. There's, it's not a done deal until the media mm -hmm. rights piece gets done. 
But what the rest of us can do, and I think what's really important for the public to know, is we can look at the grant of rights and go, okay, there's no issues here. They're aligned with how they're going to share the revenue, how they're going to do the postseason stuff. It's teed up. And all that's left here now is for the numbers to be on paper and everybody to come in and say, okay, we're good with it. I think another area of confusion throughout this process has been what does George Klyovkov do in this process versus what the CEO group, the presidents do? And and who has the kind of veto power, um, the say-so to move things forward? Yeah, Commissioner Klyovkov is is he he's working for the for his board, essentially the Pac-12 CEO group, which is the it's the chancellors and the presidents in the conference. Um, they have hired consulting firms mm-hmm. to help them negotiate with uh, media companies. Uh, they are also uh, they have an executive committee within the CEO group of those three uh, presidents and chancellors. I am told that they would not uh, the three presidents and chancellors would not bring something to a vote unless they knew that they had the ability, they had the votes to get it done. So some of what we might be seeing is uh, the Pac-12 CEO group ironing out, you know, what uh, a deal that they think everyone will sign. Also, some of the delay could be in what we have seen in the last three months, four months, when it comes to streaming. Think about ESPN went public, said, hey, two, three years, everybody's going to be streaming. Uh, we watched the NFL say it's going to have a standalone game, that is, a playoff game that will stream. Uh, YouTube got the Sunday ticket. There's this normalization that has happened with the streaming in live sports that has not been there before. And it answered some questions that I think the CEO group thought it answered early on. Like, remember, the initial conversations, it was a tug of war between linear, you know, ABC, Fox, CBS, ESPN. Go, do we go that direction or do we go totally streaming or what's the balance? I think the conversation changed maybe about four months ago as you started to see more and more entities say, hey, we're going to stream games. And I'm looking at the first three weeks of the college football season. The Pac-12 has the fewest, the, the lowest percentage of games streaming than any of the Power Five conferences. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe some of the delay, some of punting this from March to you know summer and spring, is rooted in the idea that maybe they went back to the drawing board a little bit and said, "Hey, maybe we're okay going a little heavier with the streaming." I still think they need ESPN. They need that glow, the shoulder programming, all that propaganda that ESPN uh, gives to its partners. But I just kind of wonder if there was a realization that, hey, it's we're not going to look so bad if we go with like 75% of this package being with a streaming partner. I do have to say there has been a lot of goalposts moving on both sides throughout this saga, uh, but for different reasons. Uh, continued Big 12 reports have come out about various combos of schools in the Pac-12 leaving to join them at various times over the past year that have never panned out, whereas the Pac-12 the Pac-12 has moved the timeline on when they may have the media deal done several times, and that's never panned out. So from the outside looking in, it's easy to understand how both sound valid and how both can raise questions about who's being honest as to what is going on. Uh, as I called it, verisimilitude media. Yeah. In your mind, why has one become more believable to you than the other? And what have you gathered and learned that makes you feel this way? The Pac-12, I think, has done a terrible job managing the narrative. I think from go, 
They blew it when it came to crisis management in the wake of USC and UCLA. I think their strategy was bad. I think they did they let other people tell their story. They let the hysteria run wild. Um, you know, and I, I don't know how much of that was George Klyovkov's decision or how much his bosses were telling him, here's what we want to do. We want to, we want to back off. We'll have something to say when we have, when we, we say it, but we're not in that kind of world anymore. Mm-hmm. You have to tell your own story. And I think the conference blew that. And I, in that vacuum, what I think happened is I think you had a lot of websites and wannabe media members who popped up and, you know, are not used to covering this stuff. They're not sourced. They're not talking to people who are in the room. They're talking to boosters or maybe listening to a consulting firm. I've had consulting firms that uh, are working by half on, uh, on the behalf of, of different entities, different schools, try to reach out and plant ideas in my mind. And then I'll make subsequent calls to kind of vet that information. And I'll find out, eh, it's, yeah, it's not really true. Like, you know, there's some truth, but not a lot. But I think ultimately what makes me believe that the members are staying together is I have heard nothing else from the presidents and chancellors and ADs in this conference from day one. They have all been saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. I've talked to nine of the 10 ADs. I've talked to uh, more than half of the of the presidents that are remaining in this conference. They all say the same thing. And when you start to get that message over and over coming from people internally who are talking for on background, who are talking off the record. I'm not getting anybody saying anything other than, hey, we need to do what's best for our school. But what's best for our school, unless there's game-changing money or the conference implodes, uh, the, what's best for our school is to stay in the Pac-12. Like There isn't that move available for anybody in this conference that USC and UCLA made. So everybody else's move is a lateral move. And I think it's why... You're getting some fanning of the flames in the Big 12 footprint. I think they'd very much love to see, some people would very much love to see the Pac-12 implode and pick off members and strengthen their conference. But, you know, even as I talk with uh, ADs in other conferences and commissioners of other conferences, the the picture I get is that the ecosystem really does need stability. They all recognize that. There isn't a game-changing move. Uh, You know, Colorado... Uh, I think is just trying to do what's best for Colorado, investigating the Big 12, uh, looking, waiting for numbers from the Pac-12. It's what every one of us would do if we were in that situation. But ultimately, I continue to be told that there isn't any logical reason if the numbers are in range of what the Big 12 is getting that Colorado or Arizona is leaving. Sorry to disappoint fans at Arizona who think the Big 12 is a better conference. Um, I think Arizona fans should be happy to be in the Pac-12 where they can compete for a conference championship in basketball every year. And I think Colorado fans, look, I get it. Coach Prime would love to recruit Texas. So play non-conference games in the state of Texas. Do what Oregon's doing. Do what Utah's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, Oregon's going to go play Texas Tech. Utah's got this thing with Baylor. And there, there's opportunities there if you want to recruit that state. You don't need to pick everybody up and move them into the Big 12 conference and Go play schools all over the country and in Florida. You know, you, I don't necessarily think that's the best thing for Colorado or Arizona, but, you know, I'm just, I don't, I don't care if they stay or go, but I have had nobody in a position of authority tell me anything other than they are all staying together. They're all pointed in the same direction. That includes Oregon and Washington. They want to get to the playoff. They know they can get to the playoff in the Pac 12. And, you know, Colorado should be thinking the same way, but, 
Rick George, the AD of Colorado, told me a couple months ago, he said, hey, why would we go to a 16-team conference? You know, we, we, we could be at a 10-team conference. We can get to the playoff there. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Colorado's going to be on Fox the first two weeks of the season. Big noon kickoff. I, there's no better exposure than where they are right now. Uh, I mean, let's talk about sourcing. It's been a big part of the issue arguments throughout this whole ordeal. Uh, I can say, honestly, the reasoning for me leaning toward the Pac-12 staying together is one, my limited contacts have been echoing that sentiment sentiment from the start with no wavering. And two, a lot of what I've been told from second and third party sourcing matches what you've been reportedly or reporting directly from the mouths of people who matter most in these conversations. This begs the question, though, when fans do consume media, what should they be looking for in reports as far as sourcing to determine how legitimate it is or isn't when the initial contents appear that they could be valid or make some sense? Yeah, I look for my first thing is, you know, the entity you work for doesn't matter. You know, I think in today's world, you know, uh, yes, the athletics got terrific reporters New York Times has got great reporters, ESPN, all these, you know, there are some major mainstream outlets that do a great job. But I have seen some of the major mainstream outlets uh, write stories that as I read them, I see things like, well, this could happen. This might happen. Uh, A lot of hysteria, uh, you know, very little sourcing. I'm always looking for sourcing and I'm looking for weak language. I had this professor, I'm an English literature major. And I had this professor in college. His name was Victor Lambs. And what we called him Silence of the Lambs. He was so hard. He was such, he was the worst, uh, worst critic of your writing. And he was so good for all of us, but we didn't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a couple of times I wrote things and he wrote on the top of the page, weak words. And he would circle them. And it was things like may or could be or might be. Anytime you're hedging, uh, pay attention to that. There's a lot of hedging that's going on out there. And I see a lot of people writing things that are speculative and based on weak sourcing. And then the other thing is like, look, if somebody's been telling you that the demise of the Pac-12 is imminent and in July and August and September and October and November and December and January and February, like, why are we going to believe them in March and April and May and June? Like, it's it's just been a, it's a tired narrative. I think, you know, there are some good reporters maybe who got fed some bad information. I don't know. I don't know who their sources are, but I don't listen to consultants. I take what they say under advisement. And then I go talk to people who are in the room. And if I don't get that echoed in the room, I'm not reporting it. Um, You know, I had one AD in the PAC 12 tell me that, you know, Oregon and Washington were the glue early on Mm -hmm. when this all broke. And they said, if Oregon and Washington leave, we're running for the hills, you know, and I I put that in print. You know, it's it's not me rooting for an outcome here. I'm just saying if, if someone in a position of authority tells me that I'm going to report it, I'm the conduit. So I think you got to look for people you can trust, pe- look for people who don't have an agenda, especially look for people who are not being paid by the conferences. There are some media members out there who work for some of the conferences. And you have to, you know, you have to take that into consideration when you're reading what they report. Well, I, you know, kind of circling back, you t- you talked about this a little bit, John, 
there is a looming date, June 30th, coming up that may or may not be the key to when this madness ends. Uh, you know, how important is this date actually? And do you have any inkling as to when we can finally put this round of media rights negotiations to bed for the Pac-12? I, I think the the in a real like in a vacuum, let's just say that, you know, it was just four of us sitting in a room. We watched the Big Ten negotiate a new deal. They announced it last year, 11 months before the expiration of their existing deal. We would kind of set that as the benchmark and we would say, OK, we know nothing about media rights. We haven't done this a lot before, but the big the Big Ten, they they re up their deal about it, you know, 11 months before the expiration. Well, the Pac-12 hits that 11-month mark in July. So, you know, we have all been wringing our hands and reporting on a daily basis and exhausting this topic. But the truth is, like, in a normal world, without hysteria, without a bunch of media members, myself included, telling anybody what they should think or do or know, I think we would all kind of be going, if they don't have a deal by July, mid-July, we would kind of start to get concerned about it. So I, I just think the more I look at it, you know, all along, I'm going, you know, why were we all so tuned into it? Well, the presidents were telling us they went public in February and March and they said, hey, it's two weeks away. It's a week away. We all got, you know, riled up. And I think now we're looking at some hard and fast deadlines and some reality. And I think the Pac-12 knows if it wants San Diego State in the conference, June 30th is a pretty interesting date. Should probably try to get something done before that. And if it doesn't, uh, you, you'd expect that they need to get a deal done here and not leave too many more months, too much more confusion. And then when this is over, I think they need to look at hiring some new people in their PR department and, and like, hey, the next time we have an issue, who's in charge of messaging? Because I think the messaging failed in, in the last year. You know, I think that's an important point. Like, Yes, I, I think you and I are both in the same boat. We want the Pac-12 to survive and and for a lot of reasons, but namely because I think variety in college football is helpful. But that's not to say that the Pac-12 has not done some things wrong and not that they care what you or I think about how they how they handle their business. Uh, you know, they're going to keep doing what they do. But I, I think it is good to point out I don't agree with everything that they did to handle this. I, I obviously you don't, um, you know, this isn't, I think anybody saying, oh, the PAC 12 is a victim here. They kind of victimized themselves in a lot of ways. Is that, is that kind of well, what I'm gathering from you? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, look, uh, we're all, you're in charge of you. I'm in charge of me. Like the PAC 12 needs to take care of its business. And, and, you know, I think there are a lot of motivated parties out there that have a rooting interest that, you know, I get it. Big 12 fans would love to not be behind Pac-12 when it comes to the ranking of the conferences. But even Robert Roberts, the Arizona president this week, he said in his comments that he, you know, he feels good about the bronze medal. Mm -hmm. You know, he was talking about being the third best conference when among the power five when it comes to that media right distribution number. So uh, I think it's interesting to remember that. But yeah, the Pac-12 put itself in this spot. It lost USC and UCLA. In the wake of that, it looked uh, like it was completely blindsided by that. It shouldn't have been, should have been more tuned into it. I had one AD say that George had one job. That job was to keep USC in the fold. You know, it, it, you know, he was driving on, on vacation, headed off into Montana to take a couple days off, celebrate one year on the job. And he gets this call that 
hey, uh, by the way, USC and UCLA are leaving. And, you know, it, it blindsided him. And I think in hindsight, everybody kind of looks back and goes, okay, there were mistakes that were made. Let's go all the way back to Larry Scott. He's not picking up the phone now, but he played a big role in it. So did the chancellors and the presidents in the conference. Some of them were have been on the job for a while. They they should have been more tuned in. Uh, but, you know, this conference, it was really interesting amid all of it. I thought there was a pretty strong message that was sent that I think has been forgotten. The presidents and chancellors nationally were watching all of this chaos, all of this talk about the implosion of you know, division one football and how it's going to just be 64 teams. And they're only the sec and the big 10. It'll be just like the NFL. And, you know, the commissioners met and tried to get that deal on the college football playoff to expand it done. And they couldn't get it done. And I think some of them did not want to get it done Mm -hmm. because I think they were hopeful that, Hey, let this play out. This is going to be good for the sec and the big 10, but the rest of the presidents in the country who are prior to that council uh, you know, went behind their backs and they ended up expanding the playoff and the commissioners had to live with it. And that that playoff expansion, I think, really paused everything because it settled Oregon and Washington down. If you're a Utah fan, you think now and you feel like, hey, you can get to the playoff. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be in one of those conferences to get to the playoff. And those playoff distribution numbers are going to grow exponentially in the next few years when they negotiate those deals. I think it's going to be 18 or $20 million if you get to the playoff. And so suddenly, yeah, the money matters. You know, uh, UCLA athletic director, Martin Jarman, I, I talked to him after they decided to leave. And, he, you know, I was saying to him, like, you know, what do the rest of the Pac-12 schools do when UCLA and USC have $70 million a year in hypothetical media rights money to spend and the Pac-12's got $35 million? You have half as much money. How do you compete? And he thought that football wouldn't be the area where they really suffered because I think you're still going to see investment in football. I think it's going to be the other sports that really are going to become important. Student fees are going to become important in Pac-12 schools. I think, um, you know, donor involvement, NIL collectives are going to become super important, not just for football, but for helping prop up some of those other sports that may not be getting the same budget you know, softball, women's basketball, volleyball, baseball, they're, they're really going to need extra help to compete because I think that's where you're going to see the hurt the most when it comes to that disparity. Well, John, I appreciate you taking time to walk through this crazy story with me and sharing some of what you know uh, with fans. Where where can people check out your work? <laughs> Well, get it. Yeah, I'm writing at johnconzano.com. That's the easiest place to find all my work. And, you know, for people who uh, want to read me, just get a get a free subscription, get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you is working for me. I'm having a lot of fun there. Left the uh, left the newspaper world. Andy Staples, of the athletic texted me the other day and he said, you built a pirate ship and you're sailing in the seas. But I don't know. I think about pirates. I think about Mike Leach. May he rest in peace. But, you know, that's where you can read me. Um, you know, I'm having fun with it and uh, enjoy coming on this podcast and you're doing a terrific job. Stay after it. Oh, thank you so much, John. I absolutely appreciate it. Well, there you have it, folks. John Canzano giving us some some of the scoop on what is happening with the Pac-12 and their media rights. That will do it for me this week. You have been listening to The Crimson Corner and until next time, go use. Yeah.
a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.